This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. This is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and all the audio podcast platforms out there, including Amazon, Google, Spotify, and Pandora. Uh, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, as always, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. We have an exciting show for you today. We're going to cover a lot of uh, really interesting topics in the world of digital transformation and some interesting trends that we're seeing. Uh, First of all, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and LinkedIn. Um, So something as common as LinkedIn and one of the things that, in my opinion, would be one of the areas least likely to adopt uh, AI, at least in the short term, uh, turns out that I'm wrong about that. Sounds like LinkedIn is actually adopting some, some AI tools, and we're going to talk about AI in the world of LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, 3D printing and how it relates and how it's enabling or, or uh, mitigating housing shortages in the real estate market. We'll talk about self-driving tractors and John Deere, which should be really interesting. I'm fascinated to hear what that one's all about. And we'll also talk about uh, technology in baseball uh, that uh, is related to signaling in baseball. And if, if you're not a baseball fan, uh, we'll, we'll try to explain to you in layman's terms what signaling is and how technology is affecting even the world of sports in different ways than we may have imagined in the past. So we'll cover those hot topics first, and then uh, later in the show, we're going to have our first guest, uh, who's Dr. Mudasir, um, or I'm sorry, Dr. Mudasir Ahmed is his name, and he is with an organization called SEM Dojo, which is short for Supply Chain Management Dojo, and he's a supply chain guru of sorts, and so we're going to talk about supply chain trends and careers in supply chain management. So we'll talk about what's changing and happening in the 2020s. And then finally, we'll get to program assurance with uh, Clifford Martin. We're going to talk about program assurance as it relates to transformations and um, ERP and software implementations and what exactly that program quality assurance is and how it can enable a more effective and more successful digital transformation. So we'll feature that discussion with Clifford Martin, who is from the, uh, he actually manages our third stage consulting office in Africa, in, uh, in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. So uh, before we get to our guests, though, let's talk through some of these hot topics you, you've got for us, Kyler. Sure, absolutely. So you're not totally wrong about LinkedIn. Um, it, it isn't actually LinkedIn that's producing this AI, but a recent NPR study found that more than a thousand LinkedIn profiles were created using artificial intelligence that would eventually connect the user to a real salesperson. So I know we've all gotten kind of those spammy LinkedIn messages that might not be from an actual real account. So it's being used as a sales enablement tactic in order to 
reach as many people as possible, and then essentially attach the end user to a salesperson. So definitely a, a really interesting uh, movement on the LinkedIn front. I just wanted to check in with you as a frequent LinkedIn user and influencer, what your thoughts were on utilizing LinkedIn as an artificial intelli intelligence sales enablement tactic. Yeah, well, it actually ex explains some an uptick in spam types of messages I've seemed to get. I mean, I've already gotten spam or, or sales oriented messages from people wanting to sell me something or wanting jobs or whatever. But there have been some lately that didn't feel real. And that would explain uh, why, um, perhaps. And so I, I think it's interesting. I thought you were going a different direction. For some reason, I thought you were going to talk about um, AI and how, you know, the I'm sure there is AI, I guess, on the back end of the algorithm of, of LinkedIn. So I, I probably misspoke when I said that it, it wasn't uh, prevalent there. But um, yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize that that was a thing on the on the uh, member facing side. But AI is becoming so prevalent. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. Absolutely. It's kind of just one of those things that um, is a, another sales tactic to be able to reach people and connect. Another kind of cross-functional technology piece that I've been researching is 3D printing and aiding in supply chain and labor shortages, especially in the housing and construction marketplace. Uh, so I found a startup company that actually um, creates 3D printing technology and helps construction workers perform their job um, in these kind of supply chain challenges and shortages after the COVID-19 pandemic. And I, I just wanted to get kind of your feedback on that. I know we've talked a lot about supply chain issues specifically within construction or labor shortages within the real estate market that has really um, been a challenge. So I, I kind of wanted to see if you felt like this was going to be a new trend, even though I thought 3D printing was kind of going away. It seems as though it's actually aiding in a different technology sphere. Yeah. And the, the supply chain issues that organizations, organizations are experiencing, that can be a, a good way to replicate or provide some redundancy on um, offshore type production. Um, it, it's also... Um, as you were talking about it, made me think about organizations that use 3D printing for um, for sample products or for beta t testing of products. It, it can really speed up the product development lifecycle, I would suspect, um, in that way. So it, it, I was, I'm was i with you. When I first heard about 3D printing, I thought it, it seemed like kind of a novelty, kind of a fad, but it seems like it's becoming a very real, um, you know, more mainstream thing that a lot of organizations are using. So that's an interesting use case that you bring up here. Speaking of emerging technologies, recently at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, John Deere actually reveals their fully autonomous self-driving tractor. And this tractor, basically, it's incredibly efficient. It has um, a GPS guiding system and new advanced technologies, including cameras that can allow farmers or other agricultural specialists to be able to view any point in you know, the overall life cycle of the tractor or whatever functionality they're doing. And mostly this is to feed the global population that's expected to grow to from eight to 10 billion in 2050 uh, and global food demand increased by 50%. So being able to not only combat the labor shortage shortages, um, but also increased food production in this agrotech 
Yeah, I made that up. So, um, you know, that's our new thing. <laughs> it also helps with things like climate changes and weather conditions, soil quality, and um, the presence of weeds and or pests. It has sensors to locate. Uh, so definitely something that's been really cool development within the self-driving technology space. Yeah, that's interesting because it's almost like you're seeing the digitization of farming and agriculture, like you said, and, and that's an area that you would think would be, might be, you're one of the later, the later adopters or the late adopting uh, sorts of industries, just given that it is such a, a manual, physical process. Um, but it's almost like they're, they're extending uh, the technology of, of self-driving cars along with the mentality that manufacturers have now, which is, you know, how can we automate more of the physical labor that organizations are having to do, whether it's the manufacturing process or moving stuff around in a warehouse or pickpacking and shipping in a warehouse. It's sort of extending that mentality and that mindset and use of technology out to the, the fields of agriculture. So that's super interesting and just another great use case of how some of these different technologies are converging to create new new examples and new ways of automating and also addressing labor shortages, which is a interesting uh, secondary benefit, I suppose, of, of the technology. Another new really interesting emerging technology is this idea of this process called pitch comm system. And basically in baseball here in the US and, and globally, one huge challenge and scandal can be the signaling system. So basically, if you're a catcher, you signal what type of pitch the pitcher should throw. And a lot of times we've seen major league teams here in the States actually get in some significant trouble because they were monitoring the signaling systems of the other team. So what this allows the catcher to do is actually push a, a, a little um, button and it goes to an earpiece in the pitcher's ear. So they are able to kind of mitigate any sort of risks of their game time strategy being infiltrated by their opposing team. So I just thought, Eric, this was so interesting because I really think it can change the world of sports and technology integration. Yeah, it, it really could in, in the amount of, uh, it also made me think, as you we were talking about it, made me think about the human error that goes into refereeing different sports, whether you're, you're talking about soccer or baseball or American football, whatever the case may be. Um, and so I wonder if, you know, that's a step toward, uh, you know, that's just one specific use of technology to communicate uh, in the world of sports. But I wonder if, uh, you know, we take it a step further, if you could eventually have sensors or AI based sort of cameras or ways to, to pick up on uh, fouls and to take the human judgment and error out of decision making. Um, as it relates to, you know, whether or not someone stepped out of bounds or whether or not someone uh, touched a ball last before it went out of bounds, that sort of thing. I feel like there's there's a great opportunity for technology to enable some of that and take away some of the human imperfections that go along with refereeing. So I think it's really interesting. Maybe that's a, maybe it's a step in that direction. Who knows? Right. Absolutely. Well, great stuff. And I know um, you are going to go into some supply chain management with our next guest, which was such a great live stream. I'm definitely uh, excited to unpack with you after um, we play the clip from our live stream. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, there's a, a few different angles we'll go in that conversation as far as 
we'll certainly talk about technology and digital transformation within supply chains, but we'll also talk about just general supply chain trends as well as uh, career opportunities and, and some of the career um, opportunities that have been afforded uh, as a result of the, the COVID crisis and the supply chain bottlenecks and everything going on in the world today. Um, so we're excited to have uh, another guru. We've, we've had other experts in the past uh, on the show to talk about supply chain management. It's sort of a recurring theme on the show um, because it is such a hot topic right now. Um, so we're going to talk about supply chain trends and careers with Dr. Mudasir Ahmed. Um, and he's based out of Dubai. We're going to bring him on the show as soon as we take a quick break. But first, uh, here's a quick break where you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, uh, send us any comments or feedback on those platforms. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for the show. Um, I'm excited for our next guest. Our next guest is Dr. Mudasir Ahmed, who is the CEO and founder of SEM Dojo, or Supply Chain Management Dojo, based out of Dubai, although they provide uh, education and training and resources to people interested in supply chain management throughout the world. Um, so he's joining us all the way from Dubai today. And so with all that being said, uh, Dr. Ahmed, thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I've been watching your TikTok videos and your YouTube channel is pretty fantastic. So thanks, you know, great to be connected and you get me on the show on your Tuesday podcast. Looking forward for discussion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for being here all the way from Dubai. So you're, you're based in Dubai and, uh, Maybe okay. just to, before we jump into the questions I have for you to start and any any questions that the audience might have, maybe just tell us a little bit about um, yourself, What it, maybe a little bit about your background and as well as what SEM Dojo is and what SEM Dojo does. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So start from myself because SEM Dojo is kind of linked with, with my background as well. So I'm, I'm an engineer by trade originally from, from Pakistan, then went to Sweden, did my master's in management of production supply chain. This is where I basically get into the field and but i always thought i have a research mindset and i got a phd scholarship on a couple of schools so i choose lancaster university management school went as a phd scholar and i was working for a company called eaton so it was like a kind of funded project and then eaton said you know why don't you work full-time with us and we'll fund your phd i said yeah that sounds good to me so basically then i work for eaton is an american company from 2005 until 2017 and i did a lot of jobs uh, almost all the jobs in supply chain, buyer, demand planner, materials manager, you know, supply chain manager, manufacturing manager, logistics director, I've done all of that, hands up. 
Uh, then when I finished my PhD in 2015-16, I realized there's not a lot of practical content. So, you know, there was a, uh, a lot of content out there from the, we call it this inbound uh, marketing people, you know, social media influencers, especially on the digital marketing people, you know, top 10 ways, how to improve your LinkedIn profile or, you know, top 10 people to follow in wherever. I just realized that there's not enough practical content for the supply chain because it's very much descriptive. And being a supply chain person, I realize also that this, if you think about these standard the chartered bodies like Apex or SIPs or ISM, I mean, they have done, all of them have done a great job, but they, they just push theory so much. But if you go into the field of supply chain, uh, theory is important, theory is relative, it's a hygiene factor, you need it. But what makes you differentiated from your you know, competition or your peers is uh, how good you are in understanding technology and how good you are understanding the the people side of this if that means your leadership skills your communication skills uh, your networking skills managing up managing down so on and so forth i come up with this model of i want to write a content which is helpful for the supply chain people because basically whatever i've learned in 12 13 years in industry so i start making uh, started with my own name mudasrizam that was a blog uh, for example i start writing things like uh, uh, 18 ways how to reduce inventory or 25 different interview questions because you know I interview a lot of people or give a lot of interviews as well. So it resonated with people and then I think 17, 18, they, one of my bosses moved to Dubai. He was the head of Bridgestone and he said, why don't you come for us? So I was the head of planning and operations for Bridgestone. So when I come to Dubai, actually, uh, people start inviting me into a lot of conferences as a speaker or etc. And I just realized I should change the brand into something more useful. So hence the birth of STM Dujo, July 2018. Dujo is a Japanese word, which means place to stay and meditate. So it's coming from this whole judo karate background. So the vision of STM Dujo is to help supply chain functions and supply chain community to do better in their job. So, and what I mean by to do better in their job and solve problems. So for example, if you're looking for courses, you, we have a best in class tutors here. We have on-demand courses on I have a course on SNOP, sourcing, modern warehousing, and we have recorded about 27 courses which will be going live. What is very interesting where we have is the best practices. So for example, if you want to have a, a SOP of how to do stock take or cycle counting or plan for every part, or basically your boss asks you, oh, let's improve our KPI, supply chain KPI dashboard. So all of them, you can come to SEO you can buy, you can download, you can customize, you can look very good in front of boss. I don't, I don't mind actually. You can sell it as well if you like. I don't really care either way, right? So, so we 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 got a lot of best practice content, and, and we also have a lot of self-assessment tools, which men, management consultants sell it, sold it, you know, sell it for thousands of dollars. So, for example, one of the famous ones I have is the materials management competency assessment, which got around eleven categories, seventy-eight different questions. So, if you're a supply chain manager, supply chain director, or or supply chain or professional any in general, so if you want to know how good you are into all dimensions of supply chain material management, you can. Go to SMUJO slash tools, uh, conduct the tools, and then it will give you a spiral chart. At the end, it will tell you the gaps you have in your knowledge and you can improve. So you have a lot of self-assessment tools, a lot of best practice guides and content. And our aim is to become platform. What I mean by platform is it, it's not just me. We've got 11, 12 different contributors and ideas to have people like you, Eric, and any other supply chain leaders and expert listening to, listening to this podcast. Come and join me, contact me. And will you have an uh, as an expert so you can you know we can help you distribute your own knowledge into some kind of product so our vision is to become the go-to place for supply chain community when it comes to knowledge content and access and, and mentoring as well 
Yeah, that's great. And that's a, it's a great model. And I think you, you've identified a, a, a significant need in the marketplace um, to, for that practical knowledge. So that's pretty cool that you, you started it and the timing is certainly good. I'm, I'm sure you didn't know ahead of time back in 2018 that how important supply chain management would become and how much of a, a buzzword it would become. Agree. Just to add one to one thing and credit to you as well, because thanks to COVID, I find COVID pretty interesting actually. It has given two things to us. First of all, it forces us to watch videos. So my YouTube channel has gone bigger than maybe yours. So we talking to each other. And second, it has proven that a lot of supply chain functions in supply chain we manage information, right? Mostly to manage materials, to manage the money back. And and we can manage, we can do a lot of supply chain jobs remotely, right? Which gives us access. I and mean, look at this conversation. You know, we connected digitally. And we're talking about it. So I am totally firm believer that supply chain has become global for the last two, three decades anyway. But I am a firm believer that supply chain jobs will now also become global, very much like what happened to IT industry. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even more so over over time. I mean, I'd love to hear, too, from the audience. Uh, thank you for everyone who, who dropped in the chat where you're from. But I'd love to hear um, sort of what your role is, just for people that are joining us live here. Are you in the supply chain field? Well, what is your are you consultant? Are you just interested in supply chain management? Love to hear from the audience here in terms of how you fit into the supply chain world and, and sort of what, what your interests are. Um, but as the audience is answering that question, um, another question for you, um, Moodus here, is uh, what do you see as the biggest challenges in today's supply chain environment? Every, everyone's talking about it. There's Everyone's pretty well aware of supply chain bottlenecks and breakdowns and disruptions. But what do you see as the biggest issues just based on, on your experience in the supply chain? I'm going to give you a short answer, but I'm going to give you a long answer later on as well, right? Because I think it's important to go back. The, the, the sure. short answer here is if you see the, the three V's of uh, supply chain, the, you know, the visibility, velocity, and variability. So we we clearly have a big issue around the visibility. I think we all agree to that part as well, right? And which leads to the how we want to make our supply chain more agile, more faster, more, you know, from the velocity perspective, right? Well, one thing we are not trying to focus, we should focus on how we're going to reduce the variation in our processes and how we do business, right? And I think if we just focus more on standardization of work, standardization of best practices, standardization of uh, operating principles within your supply chain organization and within your extended supply chain, both with customers and in downstream and, and, and your suppliers upstream, it will definitely going to give you a better way to in first increase the velocity and second improve the visibility. So somehow I tend to see there's less focus on reducing the variation of how you do business or how you run your supply chain, right? So I think there's a more focus required in the variation part. That's right. a short answer. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. The, what are the three V again? So vis visibility, variation, visibility, and velocity. Velocity and variability. So our aim in supply chain is to increase the visibility from upstream to downstream as much as possible, right? Our aim is to increase velocity of both information flow and material flow as quick as possible, because that's what we want, right? We need everything like super agile, you know, now and Amazon stuff. And our aim is to reduce variability wherever possible. Right, right. So, so when you look at that three V model, then how how is that different, or or what has changed within those three Vs, just in the post pandemic world and this supply chain yeah. constraint? Because see, 
when the pandemic hits it has caused uh, 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 basically a, a tsunami of disruptions right when it causes tsunami of disruptions that means now everybody needs to know where's my where's my container where's my beds right that has aggravated a huge amount of uh, focus on visibility right but then if you think about your your the processes how you you used to run before your snop your inventory management your demand planning your supply planning it has been disrupted and you don't have the let's call it process agility to deal with those disruptions right because there's a there's a variation in supply chain now call it bulb effect call it whatever right but how you have basically redesigned your processes or how you make your processes agile enough to cater with those with those with, with those variations right okay now right. last year nobody was getting a container then because as soon as the lead time goes wrong what people know let's order more inventory everybody's more, more ordering more inventory now if you if you're in the market and asking people everybody's saying oh i don't have a good sell out because i've got too much inventory but you should not be ordering in the first place right the you should be focusing on 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 the lead time rather than ordering more right and this is what right. i'm talking about right is this knee jerk reaction of the situation rather than saying you know let's let's take a step back we know what has happened right and then think about what is the right course of action right ordering more inventory because you just got a long lead time may not be the right thing because you don't know what's going to happen to six to 12 months down the line you might not be able to sell it and that's actually what's happening right now right yeah that's a great uh connecting the dots of, of sort of the three v's being relevant throughout supply chains at any point in time but sort of how it applies to today's uh, supply chains too um just, so what one more thing i want to add on this so if you go back to the history and evolution part so supply chain and this is a, another important I think this is also good for supply chain. So supply chain was never considered as a strategic function before COVID. And I think we all agree to that in some different nuance form, right? So supply chain was not even a word until 2000, right? So if you see the history of supply chain, it was like transportation, then 60s was distribution, then it was materials measurement, and then logistics management in 1990s, and then 2000, the supply chain is born, right? But from the 2010 onwards, so if you go to SM Dujoy, I wrote a blog on evolution of supply chain logistics the COVID has has accelerated the digitalization of supply chain i think by 5x right it is faster and faster than it if the COVID would have not happened we probably won't be focusing on it but now because COVID has happened now there's a huge push on supply chain digitalization of both integration both upstream and downstream either cloud solutions or erp integrations or whatever right is to have a better visibility of the demand patterns right which again i think is turned out to be a good thing for supply chain strategically so there's a focus on digitalization there's a money on the table that's why you are expert on it that's why i watch your videos and i think i do the same thing and i think that's a that's a good thing right what do, what do you think about that eric yeah I, I totally agree i mean i think it's it's sort of accelerated a trend that was already starting but it but it's fast-tracked it and it's and it's exposed um the pandemic exposed a lot of weaknesses and deficiencies in the supply chain i think Maybe we were fortunate for 10 or 20 years to have pretty stable supply chains, especially mm. with globalization. And, you know, it took a long time to build a, these global supply chains that worked really well in a predictable, predictable environment. But in an unpredictable environment, we were finding it maybe it doesn't work so well. Maybe we need to rethink how we um, have the visibility and the um, the variability in our processes and all that stuff. So and that's a way digitization can help all those, you know, the three yeah. V's that you talked yeah and, and that's the future and that's a, that's essentially the answer of this of the of this conversation right the future of supply chain 
the future supply chain is going toward more digital and building both digital competencies for your supply chain and for your people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're here chatting with Dr. Ahmed about supply chain management trends and careers in the supply chain management discipline. We're going to take a quick break and we'll continue the conversation when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. I'm here with Dr. Ahmed from SEM Dojo, and we're talking about supply chain management trends and careers in the supply chain space. And, and here's a question from our audience, actually, that you, your your response there was a perfect segue into this question from Roger on YouTube, and I'll put it up on the screen for those that are watching. But um, are supply chain implementations using SAP or NetSuite doing Agile? It's been a few years since I've done these implementations. Everyone was still on waterfall or a hybrid approach. And back to your point about digitization and use of technology and supply chains, what are your thoughts on this, especially as organizations have these knee-jerk reactions that you talked about and they're trying to do stuff quickly? How do you see Agile fitting into supply chain transformations or, or do you see Agile fitting in? I, I definitely see Agile fitting in. That's what it, you know, is designed because the more digital we get, that means we are more getting into the uh, or the best practices developed in IT industry. That I mean, I'm trying to make right. an easy, easy, easy comparison, but I think it's a relevant comparison, right? Because what is digitalization? So I asked this question actually, pretty much. So what is the difference between uh, digitization, digital uh, digitalization, and digital transformation? And it is astonishing that everybody says the same thing. But no, because I'm a researcher, right? I'm an academic guy at the same time. I want to differentiate the definition. There's right. a clear difference, differentiation. So my watch is basically a digital watch, but it, it used to be analog, right? So I made something analog to digital, right? Digitalization is then if I start producing data, like health data, right? Which is asking me to run more or do something, that means that is digitalization. Digital transformation is using digital trans te technologies or, uh, yeah, digital technologies to improve your internal processes or provide more value to a customer. That is digital transformation. So if you think you are digitalizing, yeah, you're using digital data to create more data, 
to change some behavior, but you're not really changing your business models. If you're not really changing your business models, then you're not doing any digital transformation. So now with this very specific definition, I'm going to answer the question, right? So because again, we're talking about IT, so agile will definitely work. So everybody should learn agile. Everybody should know what is MVP. Everybody should know what is wireframing because you all should be doing it. I can promise you that. If you don't know what is minimum viable product, if you don't know what is wireframing, start learning, right? It's all those terms. I've done a digital transformation project within Bridgestone. It was a success story big time. I've learned that by doing it. So I'm promote this concept more and more, right? So buy a book or Lean Startup by Eric Ries, fantastic book. Okay, now, I, if you Google right now, anybody sitting on a laptop, why ERP sucks? You should find SEM Dujo blog, number one. And since you are an ERP expert, Eric, right? I mean, I think you should read that and give me a, your critical commentary. I will, that's good. Yeah, so let's, let, let, one of my critical commentary in that blog is, it's an old blog, actually, two and a half years old blog, that what ERP has done, even with SAP HANA, I never use NetSuite, so I'm not going to go down the NetSuite way because I, I don't know that ERP. Well, I know SAP, right? They ha they've come up, they put, they took, in the, they took this enterprise cloud, so enterprise ERP, put them into the cloud, it still have this bloody same T code and a bit more business analytics that you can do some queries. I mean, I used to use uh, Cognos 10 years ago. I used to write queries before in VPEX. So writing queries is not a new thing. So what is new actually? So my biggest criticism is following. ERP is the biggest database for your business, right? All your sales data, your planning data, your, your orders data, everything is there. Your routing data, everything is there. But why ERP right now is not smart and i don't want to swear it because i don't know a lot of people are there why it's not smart it's not st smart enough to give me my predictive analytics my, my 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 prescriptive analytics why in this age i have to download all my planning data then do my inventory optimization made to order made to stock anal analysis and then decide to reduce my sap should have those ml ai uh, you know rules built in and should be suggesting to us right okay you put a safety stock in you're not selling change it right or convert this made to stock item to made to order item the rule should be defined so my biggest criticism is the erp is still very much an old school erp it's just on the cloud right there isn't enough intelligence built in to drive digital transformation so okay they have digitalized it but still erps the new ones are not enabling businesses for digital transformation and I'm happy, I'm happy to debate with anybody on this topic. Yeah. What do you think that is? Is it just outdated technologies? Is it the wrong focus from companies that are implementing the technology or what is it? I think, I think they're too big. It's too big. This SAP is too big. Uh, I think you see the, I mean, you probably know more than me on this. If I'm not wrong, the top five ERP players covers 65% of the market, right? Between SAP, uh, oh. Microsoft, NetSuite, Oracle, right? And, yeah. and they got so much, they, are, they make so much money in doing what they're doing, they probably don't need to. So, so I personally think there is a disruption required in the whole ERP market in itself. So ERP was a database with a fixed flows. I'm coming up with the theory of why don't we create a, a, a product which is a workflow based and connected with databases. So you can actually have a more, let's call it, flexible workflows which is linked to whatever database you wanted and now you can do whatever after that so i think there's potential of doing it if you think about it differently oh, yeah for sharing the link actually yeah okay somebody shared the link as well kylie kyla thank you 
Yep. And we just, yeah, our marketing team just dropped in the chat, the link to the YRP sucks blog. And now I'm, I'm going to have to go read it. Now I'm intrigued. I, I want to know what your, uh, what your thoughts are. And that's all. I'll be sure to share some feedback with that too. Um, so that's interesting because, so just to back up for a second, then uh, with this whole ERP versus today's supply chain issues, it seems like ERP and in, in back to the original question, by the way, related to, to agile versus versus waterfall ERP in many ways is built, you know, it's a big, massive integrated system, whether it's SAP or NetSuite or Oracle, any of those systems, it's a big, massive integrated system, which um, in some ways you think, well, a fast way to deploy it would be to use agile, but they're just so broad and integrated and it's hard to do, but supply chain challenges today might require more of an agile approach where you've got to fix some immediate pain or address some immediate opportunity that you have to improve your supply chain. Would you agree with that? Or is that sort of what's pulling? I, 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 I don't know agree. So uh, I left Eaton, uh, not Eaton, Bridgestone in October. Uh, but uh, before that, we were working on Satana. And and uh, if you see the deployment plan, what agile based as well. So, so you come in, you do your uh, scenario planning, then you have an agile run, then you sit down with the consultant, and then they fix what they fix, and then you have an next agile run, right? So so it's definitely, right. it's definitely the way to go, yes. Okay, good. So here's here's another uh, question. This this question is from um, Raphael on LinkedIn, and he makes a comment that I currently work in a distribution factory. The pandemic definitely exposed our weaknesses in communication. Um, yeah. I guess I'm curious: is that something you've seen, or is that something you've seen that can be resolved potentially through technology and or organizational changes? Or how do you see organizations dealing with this sort of dynamic that that Raphael talks about here? So I'm, I need a bit more elaboration from Raphael on the, what, what do you mean by communication, like internal or external or, or market information? What does that let's, mean? So let, let's talk about, let's assume it's, it's uh, both, you know, internal and internal with our yeah. own you know, visibility into what's, what we need internally, but also as with our customers as well. Yeah. So it's, it's down to a point you make earlier is this whole change of how we used to do business and run processes, very, you know, establish supply chain. And a way of communication, right? You send a PO, somebody acknowledges, don't acknowledge, they ship stuff, and you know whatever. You used to have a face-to-face -face meeting with your colleagues. You go and see them, and issues you sort it out. But if you're working remotely, then you know getting five people on the call at the same time is a is a is a, is a ball ache, right? Because you have to make sure you send an invite, and then somebody's dog is barking, somebody got some kids crying or whatever. So it's getting it, it is getting it is getting it is getting difficult, right? So so both communication internally and externally is difficult with the supplier, right? But there, if you think about it, more and more tools are available right now. You know, WhatsApp for business and Slack. I mean, Slack is $30 billion company right now just because it's a fantastic communication tool, right? So communication is an, an issue, definitely. And therefore, the new communication apps are coming out, both both business applications and both uh, uh, both personal applications at the same time. Right. right. What is, I, I never used Slack before. I know Slack, I knew of Slack. But only start using it was just a better and faster way to communicate. Right, right. Okay. Um, what um, when you think about? I'm going to ask one more question related to supply chain in general, and then I might shift gears and talk about careers uh, in supply yeah. chain. But uh, one question here is, uh, you know, how should organizations be rethinking their supply chains today? In other words, how should they view their supply chains? How should they be focusing on improving their supply chains today? versus pre 2020 pre pandemic you know what's changing yeah. in that so so good good questions i would say 
I see, when I see supply chain, I see in four four dimensions really, right? I see in four different dimensions. Four, four, four. I have a actually very famous talk on four pillars of supply chain strategy, which is people, process, system, and execution, right? So when you're looking into when you're designing your supply chain, you're just looking post pandemic. So you need to look into really start from the people. You know, do we have the right people? Do we have the right competencies in place to do what we need to do, right? So. You can't really say I'm going to digitalize everything in my e-procurement and, 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 and supply chain and you don't have a people who actually understand cloud. I'm just I'm just saying, right? Uh, so so you, you really got to understand how cloud works to go any digitalization efforts, right? And believe me or not, most of the supply chain people doesn't come from any IT background and they don't understand cloud. I mean, using cloud application doesn't mean you understand cloud, by the way, right? Uh, so, so I'm just giving you an example. So how you upgrade them, how you want to coach them, how you want to mentor them, how you provide them the right knowledge, right? Okay, maybe. So that's one thing. Second thing you need to look into your existing processes. One of my biggest bugbear of uh, digitalization and, and again, moving to the supply chain is you can't digitalize anything unless you do it. You have a standard process in place. You've got to standardize to digitalize. So, so you need to start looking into it. Okay, we have had a standard process before which is now disrupted post pandemic. We've got new challenges in place. How are we gonna reshape and redesign our processes? Let's standardize those, let's write it down. Let's write it down a better way to communicate. Maybe SNOP we used to run once in a month, maybe not good enough. Let's do twice a month, right? For mm -hmm. example, right? Because there's more frequent changes. So process change. Then you need to take those people's skills and processes and need to fit around the existing system, whatever system you're using, right? So you can't change the system overnight. It's expensive commodity. You got to, but you need to re, you need to make sure your, the redesign processes are somehow configurable around the systems you have, or you need to buy a new piece of kit, or maybe develop your own. And then move to the execution part, which is probably the most interesting tip I can give you give you today. People hang up too much around, too much talking, too much discussion, too much time and effort in listing down a lot of action and not enough time on execution. And this is where I love the MVP theory that what they say is you design a bare bone, bare bone of the functional product or a process, then you test it out, give it to the user, right? And get a feedback and then develop on it. So basically what I'm saying is if you want to drive change, improvement into the new challenges, don't come with 200 different actions, come up with like five, top five, design that what you're actually going to do come up with the aggressive timeline and do it and learn it and fail it and do it again and add more. Right. Yeah. And it's a, another case for the agile, the agile approach to transformation is, is being able to, to quickly uh, deploy solutions that'll, that'll help the supply chains in today's environment. Okay. We're here chatting with Dr. Ahmed about supply chain management trends and careers in the supply chain management discipline. We're going to take a quick break and we'll continue the conversation when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or 
download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. I'm here with Dr. Ahmed from SEM Dojo, and we're talking about supply chain management trends and careers in the supply chain space. Now, shifting gears a little bit then, how about um, uh, careers? You know, it, it seems like supply chain would be a great area. If, if I were starting straight out of college, I think supply chain management would probably be the thing I would do uh, personally, especially today. You know, what, what do you what are the trends in supply chain management careers? And I will actually ask our friend in marketing to go again to my channel, Kao. So if you go to my channel, there's a video called uh, why, why, why Supply Chain is a Great, Seven Reasons Why Supply Chain is a Great Career Choice. So if you, Kyle can share it as well on my YouTube channel, it's in the, I think it's the main video. So I think it's a fantastic career choice right away for many reasons, apart from all the good things you already mentioned. There is a plenty of job opportunities around it's a focus area. Now we have a seat on the table into the into the function. People even used to don't think supply chain is a function. You know, if you ask people right now, marketing everybody knows, sales, HR, but people don't used to think supply chain as a function, right? right. Now supply chain is a function. You know, everybody knows it, or we we are telling people. So so that's good. Jobs are good. Money is good, right? And the best part I would say is we are almost a give a football analogy. We are almost like a central midfielders, right? We can go back to defend if you want to. We can be attacking field. So we are connecting the, the football in the field, right? So we're talking to marketing people, finance people. We're talking about product management people. We're talking to IT people. You cannot implement ERP without uh, without uh, without IT, without us, really, right? And essentially, ERP is an IT system. The point, and thank you for sharing. Uh, Paris has shared it as well. Uh, so the point is, you can don't have to, if you don't like supply chain, that's okay, right? Spend two, three years. You can go to marketing, you can go to sales, in fact, you can go to operations. You know, I've done a job of manufacturing. So it gives you a many easier way to maneuver within the business, right? Even I had an analyst, he, he has a bachelor's in statistics. He worked with me as a supply chain analyst, didn't like it, moved to finance. So you can, you can do finance as well, you can do whatever, right? So so this goes, the second is give you a growing opportunity. I mean, uh, who is the, which is the biggest company right now in the world? Apple. Who is the CEO of Apple? Tim Cook. Who is this guy? He's a supply chain guy. So you can become a CEO as well. Historically, you either have to be a sales guy or you have to be not, I should not use the word guy, salesperson, you know, salesman and woman or financial men and women to become the CEO because that's like the, the almost the criteria or MBA. You, know, you don't have to do now. You really don't have to, right? So you can be an engineer or supply, you can become a CEO. Another thing is, I have traveled about 38 countries and I can tell you this out of 38, 30 are company funded. I go to a lot of places, you know, and, and thanks to supply chain, I go and see suppliers, I'll see customers. Yeah, that's the other reason. The third thing, supply, or the last, second last would be supply chain is never boring. There's always a separate problem every day and quite funny ones, right? So one day, quick story, I, I turn up to as a, uh, as a supply chain manager and people said, oh, we need you on down in the warehouse. That's like, What's the emergency? He said, there's a guy who come on drunk and he's on the forklift truck driving and he's just asking you. I was like, why he's asking? He was just drunk and he's driving. He just was asking. So I want to go down and take him out of his forklift truck, right? So, I mean, can you imagine that would be a problem in your workplace? But, you know, you, you face things like that. And and and, and I, think, I think last day is supply chain is great fun. 
It's great fun. You can learn new things. It's not boring. So I can, I can sell supply chain to a schema. Yeah. Right. It, it is super. I, mean, I can't think of another discipline other than maybe IT that is such yeah. an integrated discipline where you have to, you can learn. You have the opportunity to specialize in procurement or logistics or certain parts of supply chain management, warehouse management, whatever it is. But you, have, you also have to understand the whole big picture of how it all ties together. And I think that's something that's super cool about supply chain management. And the other thing too that I'd add is that to what you said is that um, I always look, whenever I think about you know giving advice to people for their careers, one thing I always think about is where is their disruption? You know, Where is their massive amounts of changes happening? Because that's where the opportunity is. And so right I now, mean, they're being disrupted. And these supply chain disruptions, they're not going to get fixed no matter what politicians do or no matter what we do. It's not going to get fixed in the next few months or probably even the next few years. It's it's going to have a ripple effect that, you know, it's going to affect organizations for years to come. So I think it's a it's a definitely a, a up and com or it's a not up and coming. It's a very well established discipline. But I think there's going to be high demand for it for years to come. Agreed. And just to add to all the points both of us said is so what happened to fintech in the last 20 years? Fintech has gone phenomenally, right? And what happened to digital marketing? So if you are a marketing person right now, you would not be the same marketing person 10 years ago, right? Because the marketing was different 10 years ago. Same with funnels. But if you think you're a supply chain person right now, you won't feel up. You, you could do a job 10 years ago because there's not enough disruption between the decade. But what happened is with the, with the disruption of, of pandemic, the importance of supply chain has grown massively. And there's a huge amount of money has been put into startups. There's a lot of big startups are coming in. There's $87 billion has been put into supply chain startups. All those supply, supply chain startups are bringing disruption. Some of them will survive, some of them will, will die. But even the ones will survive, will create more job opportunities, will create different job opportunities, right? Which is, mm. does not even exist right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you also look at sub-disciplines or areas of uh, specialization within supply chain, you have you know, data science. You were talking about visibility and the, the ability to make use of data. If you have an interest in supply chain and technology, data science might be an area where you could sort of carve out a niche for yourself. Um, or if you're a business process type of person, you know, helping re-engineer business processes. If you're a change management person, helping manage supply chains through their change and the, the, the human component of it. So, and then obviously on the technology side, you have, you know, applications that are meant to improve supply chain. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways you can approach it. And then of course you, you have the internal functions like procurement or logistics or warehouse management, where you could specialize in doing the internal functions of a supply chain too. So there's just a massive amount of opportunity and it's a global thing too, like you said earlier. So very, very good stuff. Um, if if I were new to to supply chain management or if I'm not in supply chain management and I'm either just coming out of college or maybe I'm mid-career and I want to make a change, I'm interested in, in getting into supply chain management, um, what are some of the things that I could do to break into the supply chain discipline? What are what, what would you recommend to someone who wants to make a pivot or a change into supply chain management? Yeah. First of all, visit, visit SCM Dujo. That's what That is exactly what we do. Right? We are here to it, exactly help you with this transaction. You will find a huge amount of content, knowledge, guides, best practices, videos, mostly free actually, to 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 get yourself ready. I mean, there is a blog of uh, top three jobs of a supply chain graduate, or you know what to do, how to find a job for a graduate, and we got plenty of content there to do it right. So 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 the first thing you do is that. 
Second thing is, you got to do is, is to uh, start, one of the dilemma people will have is, I have no experience, where to start? And my suggestion is this, as long as you've got some level of degree and you can do some level of analysis, right? And that's a great place to start, right? Is to inventory analyst, planning analyst, business analyst, right? You go there, you don't have to know the business or anything, you just need to know how to use, uh, uh, you know, any tools like Power BI or, you know, Google Data, Google Data Studio, or even Excel, you should be good in Excel, right? So you start from there, and then after 12 to 18 months, as soon as you understand the business and business model and the product, then you can start moving into more into planning or procurement or category, warehouse, wherever you want to move, right? So, so that would be, I think, the ideal start, I would say. But the, the thing is, I wouldn't even do a lot of expensive courses. I wouldn't say, I mean, as I said, we are trying to make, we have a very subscription-based model. I mean, you pay me $49 and you can have access to all the courses and things like that. So it's not a huge, you can Google anything, you can find it as well. So a huge amount of information is available. Just use that information, find a time for learning because what generally I've seen it that when you graduate, you somehow think, okay, I've done everything. Now I'm gonna focus on practicality. It doesn't mean stop learning. I would say making learning is a part of your half an hour, one hour daily regimen. Uh, I do it every day. I still do it after 20 years from graduating. So make sure you continue to learn. Yeah, yeah, it's great advice I, for any discipline that, that you might be in. Um, yeah. What about if I'm already in supply chain management, perhaps I'm already in one of those roles you just described and right. I'm just looking further in my career or advance. What would you mm -hmm. recommend anything different for those types of people? No, not really. I think the only thing I would say to that, in addition to the, the SMDUSA people, because if you go to our tools and self-assessment, we have created best practices. It may not make any sense to any graduate or young people who doesn't really work, but it will make huge amount of sense to anybody who has worked in supply chain and, and they have existing problems and they want to looking for best practice to solve it. And that is our aim solely to provide those best practices to, to help to help them do it. If you don't find any, if you're looking for something, ping me, but this is our core competency. We create best practices. We try to do proper research. We have a team behind it to make it available for people. For example, right now, I'm creating a, a very comprehensive dashboard for warehousing and logistics, right? So uh, the procurement one is pretty famous. The, the KPA supply chain one was very famous. I'm creating a full, for example, dashboard for SNOP. Okay, you can run SNOP in super expensive software, but you don't want to buy it unless you have a SNOP software. So I'm creating a dashboard to help two people run SNOP on Excel. And once you have a process, then you go and buy a fancy software, no problem. Right, right. Okay, we're here chatting with Dr. Ahmed about supply chain management trends and careers in the supply chain management discipline. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll continue the conversation when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. I'm here with Dr. Ahmed from SEM Dojo, and we're talking about supply chain management trends and careers in the supply chain space. Here's a, here's a comment that I, I want to get your, your thoughts on here. Um, and this is from Richard on LinkedIn. He says, it's no longer a supply chain, it's a supply marketplace, which is a very different risk model. What, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something you've heard or that you agree or disagree with? This is a very advanced concept, right? And I think it's a very, very interesting, it's more a comment rather than a question, right? Right. So first of all, I say I agree, right? And I agree with my recent learning of a conference I attended. There's a, uh, what's her name? Dr. Eloise. She is writing a book, not coming out. And she's trying to, she's talking about, uh, the risk part in terms of supply chain, how the rules of war has been changed, right? So for example, uh, I think she has a very conspiracy like theory. She's saying, if, if I'm your, uh, if I want to damage you, are the suppliers I work with, I know you are 400 suppliers, your supply chain risk assessment is so big that I could become your supplier, for example, and I could really damage your credibility and you won't even know about it, mm. right? And, right. and then she gives some military examples, how I don't, I don't want to go into the book and what she gave examples for that, how America and few other people are really, I, I think some, some, some military example there, it was a deliberate effort by a country to become a supplier for the army to make sure they damage their supply chains and not to make the armors. I don't know how she get hold of this information, but right. there's two, three things she mentioned, which is pretty pretty realistic if you think about it. Hmm. Interesting. So, so what exactly is, um, it, it maybe I'll turn that, that comment to do a question, but what, what exactly is a supply marketplace and how is that different from a traditional supply chain? How would you describe that or simplify that for the audience? Yeah, I would, I would say from the let's let's do this. So historically the global supply chain was a success story still is, if you think about it, right? Apple, Apple is very successful because of the way they designed the supply chain. Amazon is and or was, right? So market, I would say, what, what is the marketplace? The marketplace is there's more than one player, right? You're competing for same business. So when I say I'm at Sim Dujo, it's a marketplace. What I mean by that is I have more than 10, you know, experts right now, you can pick one, right? You need to evaluate and you have to pick one and you have to more deal on a on a case-to-case -case basis and a project-to-project -project basis, right? So this model is pretty much pretty reverse to the whole concept of strategic SRM, you know, supply relationship management. If you pick any book of ISM or 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 or, or, or SIPs, they keep talking about strategic partnership, strategy supplier, strategic collaboration, strategic this, strategic that. Then you have to be very so. But marketplace model is actually on the other scale, right? So if you still the other scale and it's disruptive and it's successful and it's proven, right, which it is, then why it will not be proven in supply chain? It comes with the risk, but it just needs a, a more robust platform to manage. And that's what we aim to do. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, I can see that being a, tr a trend in the future or a way that that further transforms or further disrupts uh, traditional yeah. supply chain. Yeah. Let, let me give you examples. So right now, Okay, you have, we talked about analysts, right? Analyst is data science, very good, important skills, right? Uh, or supply chain uh, network design, right? For example, everybody wants to do supply chain. You have to look into supply chain and see you have the right warehouses into the right places with the right workflow center of gravity. But why would you want that skill in-house? 
I, I don't think you need that in, in skill in-house because you don't do this kind of analysis every month or every week, right? They are right. very specialized set of skills, right? So, I mean, you are an expert in ERP implementation and you know, the cleanup of the ERP data is specialized skills. It's a specialized skills. No, you can't, you can't, you can't have it in-house. So my right. point is those kind of specialized skill set is a marketplace jobs where uh, boutique consultancies or boutique experts are available. You can go and get them and then hire them to do whatever they want to do. With the same thought process, you can apply to material purchasing or, or, or technology purchasing, right? So with the same can be applied, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess just to bring this all full circle and, and sort of bring the full, you know, the whole discussion around supply chain trends and supply chain careers, um, just to close the loop and sort of summarize everything we've talked about, what closing advice would you leave for uh, supply chain practitioners and others that are affected by supply chains? You know, what, what advice would you give them as they look to the future of their careers as well as the supply chain in general? Cool, cool, cool. Can I can I share my screen? Maybe not. Right. So, okay. Let me just give me one minute. If you can uh, give me one. Can I just take one minute or thirty sure. seconds? Yeah, yeah. Please do. Right. So I'm gonna show you something which will answer the question more appropriately than than me waffling about. Uh, this picture gone. This picture gone. Good. Is this possible? I can share a screen here. Possible? No. Um, you should see a um, share screen button in the bottom uh, right of your below where you right. and I are listening. Cool. Right. Okay. So I'm sharing my screen. Can you see? Oh, I have to accept it here. One second. There we go. Yep. Right. We see it now. Can you see now? Okay. So this is my theory, which I'll be trying to push it through. So, so if you're in a supply chain, you have been in a supply chain, that means you are have some level of supply chain competencies, right? So we. We call it, I call it hygiene factor. You have it anyway. If you don't have it, you got to learn it, right? Otherwise you're not in supply chain. Right. Then the second factor is your people skills, which I mentioned in terms of your communication skills, presentation skills, negotiation, managing up and down. It also involves your social media skills somehow. So if you go to SM Dujo right now, we have a course on how to improve your LinkedIn profile, actually, because right now, if you're applying for the jobs, people actually Google you first and call you for interview later, in fact. And when they Google it, they're expecting you to have your profile on LinkedIn, right? I actually, right. in last few years, never call for anybody for interview unless you're in LinkedIn. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. biased, maybe I'm not, but that's what I do, right? right? So having a very nice LinkedIn profile, which is better than your CV, is there, but we have a course for that. The third part, I would say, is the technological know-how, all the emerging technologies, right? Understanding what's happening in the, in the, in the, in the, in the technological space. If I come back to my, my picture again, so everybody using this buzzword of IoT or basically they're using blockchain, uh, uh, 3D printing, blah, 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 right? But you need to know which application is actually is used where, mm. right? You need to know that which part of the, of the technology fits into which part of the supply chain. So IoT is more connected devices, give you more visibility, more data. If you're thinking about the security transparency blockchain, if you're talking about collaborative supply chain, planning uh, you need to know about cloud a bit more if you need you're thinking about predictive and prescriptive analysis you need to know data science the point is is understanding the technology and which and where it is used in supply chain and that's the final answer there's a book i was talking to eric i think before our talk right i'm writing a right. book on supply chain for supply chain managers 
um, 80% done. Hopefully, it will be out this this year. Uh, and and the, the whole purpose of that book is to give this lessons or not lesson message to people that understand the technology and try to link with the right part of right portion or right segment of the supply chain. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. That's good. Good advice. Yeah. So just to summarize summarize this. So as a supply chain competency is right now in itself, I think is one third of your skill set. Maybe forty mm. percent. You got to improve your people skills, right? To be growing your job because okay, if I'm not a better leader, if I'm not know how to lead people, if I don't know how to manage projects, right? I'm never gonna become a supply chain leader or manager. It's just not going to happen. I I, I just be stay what I do. So you got to become those kind of all things. But then if you really want to become grow further and improve your supply chain, you got to understand technology. So you need all these three things. And the dilemma I feel in the current curriculum is, uh, pick any, they're not really focusing on the two part. They're not focusing on the people part as much and they're not focusing on the technology part as much. They're still going about supply chain competencies, which I think they are doing a great job, but it's old school right now. We should move on. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that's a good visual, those, you know, the discussion of those three areas, those three competencies, because so many people want to focus on one. And and you can have a primary area that you're strongest in, of course, but the more you can focus on developing all three of those areas, I think uh, you're just going to be at higher demand and you're going to be a more rare find uh, within the, the industry. Yeah. There's a question from Kohan I see. It's an interesting question. I can answer quickly. What is the best visibility solution in the market for a multi-factory, multi-country, multi-year? There's a, there's a company called Project 44. Google that. Project 44. Project 44, yeah. Okay. Okay, that's good. They work okay. right now $2.1.7 billion is a startup. Okay, it's great. Great question and great advice. Now I'm curious. I'm going to have to go Google that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> okay, thanks very much, Dr. Ahmed, for being here today. Really appreciate your time, um, especially joining us during off hours in Dubai um, relative to our time here in the United States. Uh, really uh, great to have you here. We uncovered some really good, interesting stuff as it relates to supply chain trends and careers. So we'll unpack that a bit more when we return from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling and we just had Dr. Ahmed on the show talking about supply chain management trends and careers. What were some of your observations in that discussion, Kyler? Well, first of all, I didn't know that a dojo was a place to meditate. So I feel like everyone needs a lot of meditation around supply chain management. So that's very, very fitting. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I, I 
really liked how he talked about that kind of 3V model, the visibility, velocity, and variation. And so I, I think it's so important um, because he talks about utilizing that and implementing it when you are having issues with your supply chain instead of just some knee-jerk reaction to do something drastic really taking a step back and analyzing and strategizing around what actually is going on with your supply chain but you do need that that visibility to be able to to do that um, so I thought that was a really great model to look at supply chain management in general yeah yeah absolutely and I, I had never heard that before either I, I didn't ask but I, I guess in hindsight I should have asked if that's part of his uh you know, if that's a proprietary framework he developed for his training or if that's something he learned elsewhere. Not that it really matters. It's a, it's a helpful topic either way. But um, I thought that was super interesting as well and a good way to kind of break down the process or, or break down the supply chain into three things or variables you'd want to look at. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you, because when he said it, we typically talk about people, process, technology, right? That, that three-step model to make sure um, when we're implementing or selecting a software that we're considering all lenses of the business. But he talked about people, process, system, which is you know very similar to te technology, and execution. So I wondered um, if, if I could ask you, you know, your feedback around um, adding that execution in there or where that might fit kind of within third stage's three-prong methodology. Yeah, I caught that too, and I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, and I, you may have noticed at the, at the beginning of this podcast and other episodes, I'll commonly refer to how this podcast covers people, process, technology, and strategy um, aspects of, of transformation. And so I've kind of added a fourth one in there as well. Most people just tend to, t tend to stick to people, process, technology. Um, I thought it was interesting that he talks about execution. I suppose, you know, in my mind, I, you know, not that it's we need to slice hairs necessarily, but in my opinion, it's almost like, of course, execution is something you have to execute no matter what what it is you're doing. So, um, you know, maybe it maybe it goes without saying, maybe it doesn't. But I suppose it can't hurt to call it out as, as something that even if even if you do have a good plan or in a good strategy, it doesn't really matter if you're not executing that. So, it, it is a good reminder of that. Yeah, and I think it's um, specifically important, you know, within supply chain management and being sure that you have that visibility, right, but then also that you have an execution plan around how you're going to create that supply chain and then multiple execution scenarios, right? What if this happens? What if this happens? And really understanding the risk of any breakage within um, and business. Yeah, it's... It points back to that whole discipline of organizational design and making sure that people's roles and responsibilities and job flows and just overall job design is, is being taken into account. And uh, not enough organizations think about that. They, they just focus on the technology, maybe a little bit on the processes, but rarely do they focus on the organizational design and the, and the roles and responsibilities. So I think it's a, it's a great point, and I, I totally agree with that, that mindset. You know, the other interesting factor in just talking about the overall evolution of data and then the supply chain management industry is um, that 87 million that went into supply chain management startups. And really, it seemed as though both of you were 
providing some insight that supply chain, because it has visibility across the business, right, is often a launch pad to other areas. Um, so I wanted to get your feedback if you think that kind of that startup growth or, or more of that niche supply chain technology will continue to expand because of the challenges and need in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, you know, he and I talked in the interview about how there's just been a huge amount of turmoil and disruption in the supply chain space. And the the ripple effect from what we're experiencing right now is probably going to last for years. And so it's creating a sort of a long tail of opportunity. Now, the bad news is it means that the supply chain is probably going to be strained for some time. But the good news is, you know, with every crisis, with every problem in the world, there's opportunity. And it sounds like these startups are really uh, sort of honing in on that and really trying to capitalize on that. So um, I, I think it's a it's a it, it makes total sense, you know, that you'd have these startups there trying to disrupt the status quo, because if you think about it, a lot of the technologies and processes and business models that got us to where we are right now have been around for decades. And so now all of a sudden they've been sort of shaken to the core. There's definitely stress cracks in the foundation of those, those business models. And it's sort of, you know, we're on uneven footing if you, at best, you know, in the most optimistic scenario, you know, within the world of supply chain management. So these, these uh, startups being small and nimble can probably come in and attack these problems and solve these problems a lot faster than the legacy incumbents that have built this whole global supply chain model that's based on predictable, you know, predictable demand and relative stability in the world, which today it's sort of the opposite. The world is not predictable. Nothing's stable, you know, in the supply chain. So, you know, it only makes sense that you'd have startups that are coming in and, and solving these problems faster than the big guys, the big incumbents are able to. Absolutely. Well, that was a, a really enlightening conversation um, and definitely something that is a, a great partner and, and check out, you know, the supply chain management dojo um, as well. And I'm excited to take some of their courses and see, you know, what we might be able to, to learn. And then if you're interested in supply chain specifically, uh, we do have a ton of content on our website and then also on our YouTube channel um, if you're in Eric's channel too. Um, and so you can definitely search for that there if you are interested in a career in supply chain or, you know, troubleshooting your own supply chain challenges. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and uh, yeah, both websites, I mean, both the third stage and the SEM Dojo are, are great uh, references. In fact, he's his blog, I... I uh, I think it's very high quality and uh, I haven't read all of it, but the ones I've read have been very good and he's, he's, he's a good writer. And uh, in fact, I, that was part of what drew me to have him on the show is I almost feel like I, I could learn something from him in terms of his, uh, his videos and his blogs and whatnot. So um, yeah, it's a different angle, of course, but you know, we're kind of coming at it from the transformation side of things. He's coming at it more from a, a career management perspective, but uh, certainly a good amount of overlap there. So um, good stuff. So it was good to have him on the show. And again, if you're interested, uh, in that it's scmdojo.com is his website where you can take some of his courses and read his other materials out on his website there. So um, we're going to shift gears a bit. And when we come back from a break, we're going to have Clifford Martin on the show, who I think has been on here maybe one other time so far on, on, on the Ground Control podcast. He's been on our sister podcast, which is called Digital Stratosphere. He's been on that podcast a, a couple of times as well. But we're going to um, have him on the show and he's going to have an interview with Kyler here talking about uh, quality assurance and overall transformation program assurance as part of a, a digital transformation. And, and just as a reminder, Clifford is the head of our 
office in, in Africa. Uh, he's the, the head of our third stage Africa office. So we're excited to have him on the show, but first we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and we're shifting gears a bit here, and we're going to bring on our next guest of the show, uh, who's going to be here talking about uh, program assurance and quality assurance within digital transformations. Uh, he'll explain what it is, how it applies to your transformation, why it's so important, and some things to think about as you as you think about your, your digital transformation journey. And in fact, this is an interview that, that you facilitated or that you uh, conducted, uh, Kyler, for our, our sister podcast. So we're actually going to play a clip um, that's pre-recorded from that discussion, and then we'll we'll kind of come back and talk about some of the the key points from the discussion. But before uh, we, we come back to that discussion, let's cut it over to Kyler and Clifford talking about quality assurance within digital transformation. Great. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, Kyler. And uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to, to everybody. Um, very quickly, 60 seconds. Um, I, my background is as a CIO um, of, a, of a major corporate organization. Um, and I uh, left that role probably about 12, 13 years ago. Since then, I've spent a lot of time in the ERP and digital transformation industry, working for organizations such as uh, KPMG, Ernst & Young, uh, Gartner, and very much focusing on digital transformation and assisting clients in, in, on that journey and um, helping them in, achieve success with their, with their respective programs. So that's... Uh, very, very briefly, and then in the last five seconds, as uh, as of the last uh, three or four months, um, as you as you stated earlier, Kyla, we've established uh, Third Stage Africa, and it's been an exciting journey so far. So um, there we go. Excellent. And can you tell us just a little bit about the client portfolio that you work with? What are some of the industries? What are some of the services that you do before we jump into program assurance specifically? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so it, it's been a fascinating and exciting uh, journey so far because, you know, being responsible for the Africa region, the diversity that we have, 
um, and, and the demographics and, and just the scale of the continent. So we have, uh, we have engagements and clients in a number of different regions ac across Africa um, and in various industries from, from manufacturing, uh, distribution, retail. Um, and, and interestingly enough, I always find it to be extremely interesting that the challenges that they're facing are very often similar. Mm -hmm. And I do think, and I'm sure we're going to unpack this a little bit more, I do think that within emerging markets, um, organizations often do not have the capabilities to be able to be successful, and hence the dependence on organizations such as ourselves and on roles and capabilities such as independent program assurance. Um, so we do, I like to, to, to say that as third stage, uh, in terms of our digital transformation journey, we get involved across the life cycle. So what I like to call from business case to business benefits, and we, do, we get involved in almost anything except the actual implementation, but through a very objective lens and independent lens and working at an executive level and kind of positioning ourselves as, as a trusted advisor. So that's, that, that's, that's really what we, what we bring to the market. Absolutely. That technology agnostic and independent lens Absolutely. is so important just because we, um, you know, we, we go into an engagement as a business advisor. And a lot of times it's because we want to make sure that the business is successful and that the technology brings value, not so much that the technology is a certain system. We don't have any partnerships like that. Um, we do work closely with our industry partners, whether it is a system integrator or a vendor, but not so much in the in the financial um, joining sense. So in in that kind of conversation, Clifford, can you explain to us what program assurance is? Sure, sure. So so um, so thank you for that question, Kyla. And I really see it as a tool and a capability in the hands of the client executive. Um, and, and I think there are a couple of key characteristics in terms of that role. The independence is extremely important. And as you correctly stated, being technology agnostic is extremely important. Um, and positioning such a role at, a, at an executive level and working with this executive, and I think importantly, not just for the implementation or not just coming on board once a technology has been selected or once um, and, and systems integrator has been appointed, but actually working with the organization right in the beginning, whether that's a feasibility study, whether that's developing the business case, whether it's providing an independent view uh, or independent facilitation of different vendor solution propositions or demonstrations, but or even contract negotiation, but being involved right at the outset. Because in this type of role, it then helps one to shape and set the priorities and ensure that that the, the, the necessary stand, quality metrics and standard are incorporated in, for example, the contracts um, with an SI with the uh, solution provider. So it, I, I really see it as, as having a couple of key type characteristics. Independence, absolutely essential. Having the depth of skill and technical knowledge across the board, as you again correctly state, not just technology, the old adage of people process technology, um, and being able to draw on that and, and deploy it in the right areas is extremely important. And, um, and, and working hand in hand with the executive to achieve success is really what that role entails. 
Absolutely. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's so important to talk about the program insurance piece of that to ensure just overall that independent lens. What we come in and do, as Clifford stated, is we are an advocate and a partner for the business and moving through all of these different vendor relationships. So Clifford, as you know, a veteran in the digital transformation field, can you explain to us um, kind of can a technology software vendor achieve that same program assurance or why is it important to have that independence lens when going into these kind of dynamics within a digital transformation project sure well they certainly often claim that they can but i'm a little bit skeptical <laughs> so so certainly within the industry Carla, there are various let's call them assurance providers that, that mm -hmm. would claim to be able to fulfill a similar role and that might, might well be from the assistance integrated perspective, some of the, the big consulting houses. Um, I think that has its limitations, obviously independence and objectivity possibly being one. Um, and not, not, not forgetting, because we often kind of forget as well that a systems integrator, if one takes a full digital transformation lifecycle journey, a typical journey, the systems integrator is only really involved in the implementation side mm -hmm. and also not fully involved not responsible for all aspects of the implementation. So their role in that journey in itself is inherently limited. I think one, often clients would use um, the, the um, auditing houses, some of the, some of the big auditing firms mm -hmm. to, to fulfill this role. And I think there's some benefit in that and, and, and I'll get into that a little bit later on. And often they'll rely on the software vendor, but generally their role is going to be very much technically focused so only really touching on one of those three critical components if we talk about people, process and technology, all having to be ready um, at the right time to ensure success at the end of the day. And of course, those organizations will, those, those software providers will generally also only focus on or come in at certain specific points in the journey and do some type of assessment as to the technical configuration or the technology stack or whatever the case may be. So. Generally, they have a, a very limited role and there is often a question mark around the objectivity of, of such assurance providers. Right. That professional skepticism, which is your word, which I have now coined as my own term and like to use it in every sort of content production that we have here. So definitely, you know, an important thing to just understand those roles. It doesn't mean that that's not um, an important partner. It's just important Absolutely. to understand, you know, what that looks like as far as just overall project roles. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Kyler and Clifford talking about quality assurance within digital transformation. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. We're here with Kyler and Clifford talking about quality assurance within digital transformation. We're going to jump back into the conversation. So speaking of project structure, where does the program assurance fit within an overall ERP project, CRM project, any sort of technology implementation? Great question. I think, you know, if it's going to, it needs to have the authority, of course, to be able to to, to fulfill its role and its terms of reference. So it's extremely important that it's positioned at the at the right level within the overall program structure. And I often find that it works best, and certainly from third stage, we advocate that we are part of the steering committee of that project. Um, and and it may, there may be a kind of a, a solid line reporting relationship to the program director, preferably the steering committee, but certainly some type of dotted line, if you want, or relationship with the program sponsor at an executive level. Um, so it's extremely important that it's not that that it's it's connected with and part of the overall structure and, and very much part of the team, but that it's not subject to the authority um, of a of a particular um, SI or even of the client program management structure, and it has the independence to be able to go outside that structure and kind of you know raise the alarm if need be. Right. That's very interesting, you know, and, and such an important role to be able to um, mitigate any risks within the project and talk about if there's any red flags um, as well. So I, I want to just take a, a minute to acknowledge um, your South African peers here um, in the African market that are joining us. We have um, Peter and Debbie here that are actually from Cape Town in Western Cape Town, um, same as Clifford, who's in the Cape Town area in South Africa. So please feel free to pop any um, Africa specific or program assurance specific questions in the chat um, while we have Clifford with us today. So um, moving back to that overall project structure, um, Clifford, I'm, I'm wondering if you can um, take us through the overall program assurance type of strategy. So when we're talking about things um, like risk mitigation or making sure that that when you are uh, looking through all of your deliverables, that that program assurance is, is making sure that we're providing quality or any sort of um, independent consultant is providing quality. So can you talk to that a little bit? Absolutely. So, so what I always advise clients is, you know, one wants that one wants some type of quality management framework to be in place, and, and of course, the uh, client management has to retain accountability for the program, um, sure. and, and and ensure that there is some type of quality management framework in place, and the various different stakeholder groups that would contribute to that. Certainly, it's a very legitimate question, valid question to off to ask of a, of a systems integrator. Uh, these are the deliverables you're responsible for. Talk to me about the type of approach and process you will you will you will put in place to ensure that it, to ensure the quality of such deliverables, and and delving further down, then one also wants to ensure that um, that those standards and quality metrics and the quality approach is incorporated in those agreements, because that then provides a basis for further um, assessment and evaluation throughout the journey. So extremely important that this type of program assurance role is independent of the SI and the solution provider particularly, and is involved right up front so that we can get the, the foundation in place. We can get the, mecha the mechanics of how that quality management process is going to work. And typically what we like to propose is that there's some stage gate um, process in place or approach. And what I mean by that is 
you know, if there was always going to be some type of implementation methodology being used, let's use SAP as a very popular um, solution within this particular region. Um, so they would have the activate methodology. There would, there would be certain phases within that methodology as we go through deploy and or rather through design, realization, deploy, post-collive support, uh, sustainable sustainability, etc. And there will be specific deliverables within each of those phases as incorporated in the methodology. And so what we like to design with the client's input and with the SI's input right up front, as well as the solution provider is, let's understand how we're going to manage quality throughout this program. Let's understand the respective roles. And very important, let's understand what are the predefined metrics that inform those deliverables that you as the SI or you as the business or you as the client's project management team are responsible for. Um, what are those predefined metrics? And what are the criteria that we're going to utilize as an independent program assurance provider to assess whether those metrics have actually been met? Whether that be testing or data migration or design or um, cut over deployment, whatever the case may be. So it's extremely important that that program is designed up front, that all the different stakeholder groups understand their roles and, and responsibilities within that, and that there's clarity and alignment around what the quality metrics are for for the various deliverables within each of those phases. And once one has that in place, it's kind of half the battle won because mm -hmm. now there's alignment as opposed to what needs to be delivered. And there's independent assessment with the necessary authority to, to go in there and do that assessment and provide feedback to the steering committee and, and sponsors as to whether those uh, criteria have been met or not. And indeed, whether the program may now transition from one particular phase to the next. So fundamentally important role, but it all the, the heavy lifting starts at the start of the program and then it gets a lot easier. Trying to implement that right. on the flyer is extremely difficult. Absolutely. And so why is that important specifically, Clifford, in these emerging markets, such as a lot of um, the Africa work that you do? Um, why is that um, program assurance so important specifically for those clients? Yes. I, I think it's, it's, it's such a, a, an important point you raise, Carla, because we often do find that uh, corporates and, and organisations with, within our region do not necessarily have the maturity of skills, capabilities within the organisation to successfully uh, navigate these journeys. And, and let me give you a typical example. As you could well imagine, um, many of these tier one ERP vendors and, and SIs uh, they are very skilled and highly trained, highly experienced negotiating teams. Right. The procurement department of a corporate may only engage with an SI around an ERP once or twice in their career. Um, so it's a mismatch from the start. Um, and then ensuring that, that, that one is able to, and I use the kind of term, keep everybody honest and ensure that they do what they need to do becomes an extremely important role for organizations that don't necessarily have those capabilities. And I think let me also add, and, and, and I see there are a few South Africans um, that have, have dialed in and, and they'd be well aware of this. We've had some spectacular corporate failures uh, with some of the big global names in the ERP space uh, colluding with uh, state, specifically state-owned organizations, state-owned entities and that's and 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 so there's been some spectacular uh, failures um, within within this particular region, uh, and I and I absolutely believe that having a, a mature and a competent independent assurance provider on board 
And let me also add, add a, a, the, the cost of such an insurance provider is negligible in comparison to the cost of these programs. So it, to me, it's, and perhaps I'm a little bit biased, but it's a good investment, I think, from a client's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about that in a variety of areas within digital transformation. Um, for example, our um, partner from TAF Law talks a lot about Marcus Harris, who is um, one of our sponsors of our digital stratosphere and is often a guest here, talks about just the expense of the overall um, issues within contracting. If you don't invest in you know, that actual expertise up front, it can be much more expensive um, in the long run. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Kyler and Clifford talking about quality assurance within digital transformation. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organisations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. We're here with Kyler and Clifford talking about quality assurance within digital transformation. We're going to jump back into the conversation. I want to show a comment here from Debbie on on LinkedIn um, that is, is kind of interesting that I'd love your reaction to. So what she said is what we have found with our assurance partners is they do not advise as they would be marking their own homework, so to speak. So what's your, what's your reaction to that, um, Clifford, and being you know a, a main stakeholder in this market uh, and understanding what assurance partners should be doing and what they may not be doing um, a lot of times for clients? Yes. I wonder if Debbie doesn't mean implement systems integrators, which I'm assuming she, she means systems integrators when she talks about partners there. Um, and 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 they often do mark their own homework, um, and of course don't necessarily see anything wrong with that. So how that works practically is that with a systems integrator, there's often a senior partner that's designated the role of QA, um, and and but yeah, and maybe perhaps a little bit of that professional skepticism coming through. Yeah, I think that there's there's often some type of business development tied to that role as well, from what I've in terms of my experience. But they cannot mark their own homework, and and as you can Im imagine, that um, you know it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult for a for a, an an SI to be able to um, stop a program because they themselves are not achieving the necessary objectives. So, so that conflict of interest needs to be avoided at at at, at all costs. Um, we do often. One also does have the case where you know and. Uh, some type of audit firms are the um, are both the auditors and the implementation partners, mm -hmm. and there's a conflict of interest immediately as well. So I think one needs to 
ensure that they that one avoids those type of conflicts of interest. And how do you how do you manage to that conflict of interest if you are uh, a client or the business owner that's going through this um, overall technology implementation or digital transformation? How do you remain in that professional skepticism fear that or sphere that you talk about um, just to ensure that you still have project ownership? Yeah, well, well Carla, one of the one of the the challenges that we see is you know these. These these engagements are often, from a cost perspective, they're kind of front loaded. So, mm -hmm. so we have a situation where we where we only 30 or 40, 50 percent through the project, but uh, 70, 80 percent of the budget's been expended. And it, and as you can imagine, it's extremely difficult. Um, and in my experience, sitting on a number of steering committees for digital transformation ERP projects, um, it becomes extremely difficult from a client perspective because effectively, what they need to be able to do is say. You know, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like we're quite there. The, the statistics and metrics that we're seeing coming out of the normal standard reporting shows that we're behind on development, or there's some key design decisions outside, but we're already we're already going forward with testing. And that's often because the airsides, um, the payment, the billing is tied to certain milestones. Mm. So it becomes and stopping, as as I'm sure you would appreciate, stopping a program of this nature. Um, you know, with with such a high burn rate, with with a heavy investment in resources and tight deadlines from a client perspective, becomes extremely difficult. I, I do also find that the between the software vendor and the SI, they often control the narrative on these projects, and they often play a leading role in terms of leading it and deciding and making key decisions, very often on behalf of the client. So having that independent program assurance, just in terms of your question, just provides. And either some comfort or some perspective and clarity, and allows better allows the client to have better visibility into where things are actually, mm. and very importantly, what the risks are going forward, and therefore allows the client to make more informed decisions as opposed to, and, and that decision is not necessarily you know stopping the project. It could be having a different deployment or go live approach. It could be resourcing up. It could be shifting emphasis. Um, whatever the case may be but absolutely i do believe that the role uh, allows for better visibility and allows for better and more informed decision making on the part of the client um, yeah absolutely and that's excellent advice with that visibility and so important within that project ownership and just remembering that you as as the business leader as that stakeholder should should definitely um maintain that control or that overall um you know opinion of of what is best for your business so i wonder clifford if i could ask you about program assurance specifically in Africa in the in the lens of how do you make sure that when you invest in an independent or agnostic partner within the Africa region that it is a legitimate partner it's a little bit different than a lot of um, our other regions in just the fact that that uh, that overall trust needs to be um, a, a strong foundation for our Africa marketplace so I, I wonder if you could give us some tips on how to make sure that you're selecting the right partner in program assurance? Yes, great question. So, so I do think that it needs to happen upfront. So when an organization is thinking about embarking on a, on a digital transformation program or upgrading or re-implementing or whatever the case may be, um, you know, of course we tend to, 
we, we operate in an industry where everything tends to default to the technology. So the first go and say, well, you know, we like SAP or we like Info or whatever the case may be. And, and that's generally where it starts. I think that, that that's, that's wrong. It needs to, I think the first thing is that it needs to start with who is our trusted advisor? You know, who in the marketplace is truly independent, is truly technology agnostic and has the breadth and depth of skills and the, and the appreciation across the market as to who the key players are, both in terms of solution providers, as well as, as, as systems integrators and whatever other specialist um, vendors you may, you may bring on board. So I, I think the, the timing is important, firstly. And how we deploy that role becomes important because certainly, you know, the, the auditing firms, and I've worked for some of them, have fantastic skills and, and, and very and great um, depth and focus. But they do tend to focus at a transactional level. So mm -hmm. a lot of the work that's done is, is around design and controls and business processes and data integrity. And those are all important things. But I think the, the, the true program assurance role operates at a strategic level. It, operate, it, it, it ensures that the organization achieves the end goals. And deployment and go live is, of course, not the final goal. Driving business benefits is the final goal, um, and that and that th those activities and objectives extend way beyond the role of an SI. So being on board for the full journey and being on board at an executive level, and having the depth and experience to be able to fulfil that role at an executive level as a trusted advisor um, is extremely important. So both timing, um, I think how it's positioned, being totally agnostic in the marketplace, and being able to focus, bring the focus. At the, at the correct level in the organization um, and, 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 and build those relationships with the executive um, is extremely important in selecting such a partner. Yeah, and we, we always do our house analogy here at um, Third Stage a lot of times is the audit firms are really easy to work with a lot of times because you have that existing relationship, um, you know, and, and it's always nice to be able to work with someone who's been integrated in your business before. But a lot of times we compare it to when you build a house, the contractor, of course, knows about your house, but the electrician is going to go in and provide all of your wiring, electricity, those types of things, because that's their expertise. And a lot of times that's what we find with our clients when they do um, get involved in a digital transformation or a technology implementation with those audit firms is they're a great resource, but that's not their overall expertise. And really investing in that partner that understands the nuances of a technology implementation can be a, a very, very uh, uh, positive investment. And um, and then I'll share an, another comment we hear we have here from LinkedIn is um, generally what we have found assurance partners really help the steering committee to manage risks and put mitigation strategies in place for better visibility. So very along the lines of what you know you're talking about, Clifford is that additional um, just overall risk mitigation strategies, especially for our smaller or mid to size or mid sized businesses. That you know technology implementation is a huge risk because it's a vast expense and that failure could lead to catastrophic results. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we, we wrap up here in the, the last um, couple minutes, because we only have um, Clifford for 30 minutes, you can always tell you know our shorter live streams because they're in high demand um, from our clients here. Um, so if you were to give some advice specifically in the Africa market, Clifford, for digital transformation or going through any sort of program assurance, um, 
you know, overall integration, what would be your advice? Apply a high dosage of professional skepticism <laughs> yes. to, 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 to your SI and to your solution provider and ensure that you organize yourself accordingly. And by that, I mean, ensure that you have full visibility and, and take accountability for the decision making. And, and if you don't feel that you have the capabilities within your organization to, to, to do that, absolutely bring on a trusted advisor who can walk with you through this journey. It's, it's worth its weight in gold, in my humble opinion. Well, you know, your humble opinion is certainly um, valued and we, we appreciate all your insight. All right. Thank you, Kyler and Clifford. Great discussion. Very relevant discussion to anyone going through a digital transformation. In fact, we've got a few things we'll unpack as it relates to that topic. But first, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 63. We just, before the break, had uh, you, Kyler, interviewing Clifford Martin, talking about quality assurance within digital transformations. After you've conducted that, interview and now had some time to digest it a bit. What are some of your thoughts and takeaways from that discussion? Well, I always enjoy and learn something when we talk to Clifford um, and specifically for our Africa clients was why we wanted to have a conversation around program assurance or quality insurance and what that looks like in emerging markets. And I, um, I've learned from our team in Africa and a lot of our other global partners that sometimes in emerging markets there can be a, a big um, a big distrust of overall new technology and there hand in hand with that there can be a lot of corruption that um, comes in of, of people you know saying they're a consultant and uh, you know not being acting with integrity and we don't see that you know, a ton within kind of the Western sphere, uh, but with, a, with our Africa clients, they really do have that extra due diligence, which is why we wanted to have Clifford on to just explain how Third Stage Africa specifically, you know, makes sure to uh, do legitimate business. And he walked us through 
program assurance and the importance of not only having a trustworthy partner, but also having trustworthy vendors and how really he kind of um, facilitates all of that vendor management within the Africa market and has done so, you know, for 20 plus years now. So um, I always, you know, learn more about his, his role down in Africa. Um, and it was interesting to see our community of uh, South Africans specifically uh, join us uh, and ask some questions of Clifford and kind of reiterate the importance of that quality assurance factor. Yeah, and in, you know, even though this is a topic that's relevant to any part of the world, you know, whatever region you're in, quality assurance is something that's critical to the success of a, of a transformation. But in some ways, in an emerging market, whether it's Africa or other parts of the world, um, you have less maturity in many cases in the, those partners that you're talking about, those technical partners, the implementation partners. And so that quality assurance role becomes even more important uh, in, some, in some of those emerging markets in those sorts of situations. So it's a good point. I think it's a very relevant, it's, it's relevant across the board, but especially in, in those types of markets. Yeah, and his professional skepticism, right? My favorite buzzword that he created, I of course had to bring that into a, our conversation of um, just kind of digging into how do you manage a system integrator or a vendor when that might not be kind of what you do on a daily basis. And he talked us through making sure that you obviously uh, appreciate their insight but also remember that this is your project as a business and your business goals are should take priority uh, and how he does that and and make sure that that is within those program governments and guidelines right yeah absolutely yeah and quality assurance is a great mechanism to do that to take that control back and, and to ensure that you have the ownership and buy-in and visibility and that you're you're managing it and you're identifying the risks, you're addressing the risks, you're not um, just hoping and praying that your your technical partners do that for you. Yeah, and, and just remembering that everyone, or considering that everyone involved in a digital transformation has different priorities. And that doesn't mean anyone wants it to fail or anything like that. But when we talk about, you know, the the actual vendors, their job is to sell you the software and implement the software and then kind of drop the mic and exit. Uh, you know, that's what, because so they can get on to the next client because that's their business model. Uh, and a lot of times that can come at the expense, especially a business that might not know the right questions to ask, uh, especially in markets where the, this technology is still very new and you need um, to consider when you know you're talking about cloud-based systems or anything like that well sometimes the connectivity is not there in these areas so an on-premise solution needs to be vetted just as much as a cloud-based solution so i think it was great that he kind of explained that role uh, of what an independent and agnostic technology consultant really does yeah 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 he does a nice job of articulating that and um it's good a good overview and a good reminder for sure yeah and and uh you know the last thing i'll just remind our audience is that our africa office is um new uh we we launched it earlier this year uh so if you are interested in learning more about them um specifically you can visit our website uh under the africa contact us area and then also you can look at our Africa playlist um, that has kind of our meet the team on there as well. So um, 
definitely check them out. Clifford was on um, an episode of Ground Control talking about system integrators and vendor management. So if that is something that you want to dig into a little bit more, he did do an hour live stream with Eric um, about those specific roles uh, and how that relates to program assurance. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And like I said, even it's especially interesting if you're in the African region, but even if you're not, he, he's got a broad global perspective of a lot of things that are relevant to every part of the world. So uh, it's good to have him on board. Uh, he and his team on board as part of the third stage family now and uh, great conversation there. So I want to thank you for facilitating that discussion, Kyler, because that was a, a really good uh, conversation and uh, you drew out some things that I don't think I would have. So that, that was a good, good conversation. And thanks to the audience too, who had good questions in, in both interviews today. Um, really appreciate that. And uh, just as a reminder, too, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You can do that on YouTube, on either the third stage or my personal uh, YouTube channel. Um, you can find the new episodes every every Wednesday um, on both those channels. And you can also find it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. And then if you listen to audio podcast platforms like Google, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, etc., you can uh, subscribe to us there. So be sure to check us out and leave us a review, too. We'd love to hear your feedback on what you think of the show and any suggestions you have uh, for topics or things we could do better. Um, we're just trying to add value to you as you go through your digital transformation journey. So I want to thank everyone for being here today, uh, and we will see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Mm-hmm.